1: We are not children of the darkness as Bible believing Christians. We are children of the what, everybody? Of the light. So, although we don't know exactly when it will come, we see the events shaping up and we know that an overwhelming surprise is coming.
2: That's Pastor Mark Finley, and this is Hope Lives 365. At Hope Lives 365, we believe God answers prayer. Keep in mind this telephone number throughout today's broadcast. Eight 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 two four four hope That's eight 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 two four four hope Here's Pastor Mark.
1: My topic this morning is the overwhelming surprise. Let's pray as we open our Bibles together. Father in heaven, we've come to a point in the service. We're going to open your word. As we look out over the world, the situation in our world is incredibly crucial. It's critical right now. We're living in a very dangerous world, but a world that God is still moving in. And we pray that as we open your word, that you would touch our hearts, give us the message that we need for our hearts today. Strengthen us as we study together in Christ's name. Amen. The year was 1969, and the place was a little town called Pass Christian, Mississippi. Hurricane Camille was hurtling down upon that city, and police chief Jerry Peralta was concerned it was late the Sun had set and he knew that there were still some people along the coast in a group of apartments and it was his responsibility to get them to evacuate as quickly and rapidly as possible so Jerry Peralta pulled up to a place called the Richelieu apartments and what he was unaware of at the time was a group of about 20 people were having a hurricane party And he pulled up and saw a man on the balcony of one of these apartments with a bottle of beer in his hand. And Mr. Peralta, the police chief, looked up and he said, look, it's time to evacuate. You need to evacuate. The storm is getting worse. It is hurtling down upon us. It's time to leave. And the man said, are you going to arrest me if I don't leave? Somebody else joined him on the balcony. And they began to mock the police chief, saying, look, we're having a party and we're not going anywhere. Little did they know that that hurricane would be the strongest hurricane that ever hit the American coast up until that time. Hurricane Camille packed winds of 205 miles an hour. Those apartments were just 250 feet from the coast. And when at 10.15 p.m. that evening, the hurricane hit the coastline, the waves were 22 to 26 feet high totally demolished that apartment, and every one of those 20 people died instantly in their hurricane party. And I've wondered about that. Why didn't they leave? Were they too arrogant? Were they too self-confident? Why didn't they leave? Were they simply thinking this storm is not going to be as intense as we anticipated? I wonder what was going on in their minds. No doubt they thought they could ride out the storm, No doubt they felt very secure. No doubt none of them had any idea of the intensity and the fury that the storm was packing. We are facing another storm. A storm that's coming to burst upon this world, relentless in its fury. Is it possible at times that we are overconfident? Is it possible at times that we don't understand the fury of the storm that's coming? The Apostle Paul talks about what will soon break upon this world as an overwhelming surprise. I'd like you to take your Bible and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Those who stayed in the Richelieu apartments that day neglected the plain warnings. They overestimated their ability to ride out the storm. They knew the storm was coming, but they had little idea of its intensity. They listened to weather reports and watched the news, but they didn't have any idea of the fierceness of the storm. They failed to prepare, and they lost their lives. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 describes another event that's coming. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 3. When they say peace and safety. Now, another word for safety there in the original language is security. So these people are saying peace They're saying security. Now, remember those two words. We're going to come back to them later in the message this morning. When they say peace and security, the people in the Richelieu apartments didn't understand the intensity of the storm. They said that police chief Jerry Peralta, who was giving the warning, that he was a wild-eyed fanatic. They were saying, we're at peace. We're having a hurricane party. We are secure in these apartments. When they say peace and security, then what happens? Sudden destruction comes upon them. "...as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape." Verse 4, "...but you, brethren and sisters, are not in darkness, so this day, the coming of Jesus, should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. We are not sons of darkness. We recognize, based on the biblical prophecies, that a storm is coming, relentless in its fury." We recognize that this world will be faced with overwhelming events. Verse 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Now, our passage says really three things. If you analyze this passage, it's saying three things. First, events are going to take place in this world, and they're going to come rapidly and suddenly that the world does not expect. Secondly, as Bible believing Christians, we should not be surprised. And thirdly, it's not only important to live with a sense of urgency of Christ's coming, it's important to prepare for his soon return. Now, Ellen White, in the eighth volume of the testimonies writing counsels to the church, on page twenty eight, puts it this way Transgression has almost reached its limit. What's transgression? What's another word for that? Sin. Sin has almost reached its limit. Did sin reach its limit in Noah's day? And did a crisis come? Did sin reach its limit in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah? And did a crisis come? So she says, transgression or sin has almost reached its limit. Confusion fills the world. Are political leaders confused in what to do about the situation of society? Are social scientists confused? Are philosophers confused? So confusion fills the world. A great terror is soon to come upon human beings. The end is very near. We who know the truth should be preparing for what is soon to break upon the world as an overwhelming surprise. So, will there break upon this world very soon an overwhelming surprise? But we are not children of the darkness as Bible-believing Christians. We are children of the what, everybody? Of the light. So... Although we don't know exactly when it will come, we see the events shaping up, and we know that an overwhelming surprise is coming upon the world. Now, this morning, I want to explore three things with you. First, the coming revival in the people of God. Secondly, the coming crisis for the people of God. And thirdly, the coming triumph of the people of God. And we find this in Revelation, the 18th chapter. So if you have your Bible, I'd like you to take it and turn to Revelation, chapter 18. And we'll be studying that entire chapter, looking at different segments of Revelation, the 18th chapter. We want to try to discover what God is going to do in the last days of earth's history. We also want to discover the events that are shaping up even now. And we also want to look at how to survive during those events and how to go through that coming crisis. Revelation chapter 18, verse 1. And after these things... I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great authority or power, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. Now, let's pause and look at the first three words of the text, after these things. What question do you ask when you read those three words, after these things? things? Yeah, that's right. Do you ask, what things? So, after these things, I saw... Another angel coming down from heaven. After what things? Well, obviously, if he says after these things, it must be the things in Revelation chapter 17. So let's go back and briefly look at one passage in Revelation 17. And rather than look at each particular detail, I want to look at the big picture for you this morning. So after these things, after what things? The events that take place in Revelation chapter 17. Let's look at Revelation 17 verse 12. And rather than look at every little detail, I want to look at the big picture, the large scenario. Revelation 17 verse 12. And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings that have received no kingdom as yet. So kings would be political powers, we'll come back to ten shortly. But they receive authority or power one hour, a short period of time, as kings with the beast. So the beast would represent a religious power, the kings represent a political power. So here you have the union of political religious powers. The beast representing false religious powers. And we won't take time to show that in scripture. We could. Verse 13. These have one mind. What are the these? The kings or the political powers and the religious power have one mind. They will give their power and authority to the beast. So the political powers unite together with one mind to give their political power and their political authority to the beast power, the religious power. These make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. Now, you notice there in Scripture, it says the ten horns, and it says they received authority with the beast. Horns, of course, are a symbol of power. In the book of Revelation, numbers are quite significant. Three in the book of Revelation represents the Trinity. And so you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, divinity. But in the book of Revelation, you have the counterfeit trinity, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. So in Revelation, you have this contrast, the true and the false. In Revelation, you have seven. Seven indicates the perfection of God, the seven spirits, which represents the perfect work of the Holy Spirit. You have the seven churches, God's perfect work in his church down through history. The seven seals, the seven trumpets. So seven is always a perfection word. In the book of Revelation, you have the word four, which indicates universality. The four points of the compass. In Revelation, you have 12. In 12, in the book of Revelation, the 12 apostles, the 12 patriarchs. Throughout Revelation, you have this idea of 12 indicating the complete work of God. What about this number 10? Throughout the Bible, as you look at the number 10, it's a number that reflects obedience to the divine order. For example, why aren't there 11 commandments and why aren't there 9 commandments? Why 10? The 10 commandments represents the divine order of God and the human responsibility for obedience to that order. For example, you remember Daniel is tested for how many days Is Daniel tested for? 10 days. Why? Because... The divine order of obedience. So when you read 10 in the Bible, you remember the parable of the 10 virgins. The virgins, of course, represent the church. 10 was the smallest number of Jewish men that could participate in the synagogue and form a synagogue. What's the parable of the 10 virgins about? God's divine order in his church at end time and the call for spirit-filled obedience. Remember the parable of the 10 talents. What's that all about? The parable of the ten talents is using those talents for the utmost glory of God and responding to God's divine order in obedience. Now, remember the image in Daniel has ten toes, correct? And you remember there are ten horns. What's this all about? It's about the human attempt to manipulate God's divine order and bring in a human order. So here in Revelation chapter 17, let's go back to it. Because understanding this, we will understand more clearly Revelation 18. Revelation 17, verse 11, the ten horns that you see are ten kings that have received no kingdom yet. What's that all about? In this amazing imagery, John pictures a human earthly power, a super union of church and state, attempting to interrupt God's divine order and lead men and women to disregard God's Ten Commandments that are the foundation of Christ's kingdom. And he is describing, John is, the establishment of a human church order that breaks up the divine order. Now, we go to Revelation 18, verse 1. Revelation 18 and verse 1. And we notice the significance. After these things, in the midst of this attempt to establish a church-state union, and to break up God's divine order in the midst of this, after these things. I saw another angel coming down from heaven. This angel comes iridescent with the glory of God. This angel comes from the presence of God and he's shining with God's glory. And this angel comes down. He has great authority, great power. So this angel... That comes, carries the power of God to the church of God. There's a revival of the Holy Spirit, and the earth is filled with God's glory. The earth is filled with God's glory. So here, through God's church, the earth becomes filled with the glory of God at a time of union of church and state when oppressive enactments come for the people of God. Now that leads us to a question. How will the earth be filled with God's glory and what is God's glory? When the Bible says that the earth is filled with the glory of God, what is that? What is God's glory? Now, keep your finger in Revelation chapter 18. One of the reasons people do not understand the book of Revelation is because they do not sense the explanation of the book of Revelation in the rest of the Bible. And so their interpretations of Revelation become fanciful and mystical. What I want to share with you this morning is where this world is headed. What's going to happen right around the corner? And how you and I can prepare for that and not be left unprepared. So the question becomes, what is the glory of God that this earth is going to be filled with, illuminated with? Keep your finger here, and let's go back to Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, that explains to us the glory of God. Exodus 33, and verse 18. And we're going to notice there the description of God's glory, Exodus 33 and verse 18. So Moses speaks to God. In Exodus 33, verse 18, Moses says, and he said, please show me your glory. So what was Moses' request to God? Moses wanted to see what? God's what? Glory. Now verse 19, then he said, this is then God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I will have compassion upon whom I will have compassion. So Moses says to God, show me your what? Glory. And God says, I will cause my what? Goodness to pass before you. So God's glory is God's what? Goodness. His graciousness, his compassion, his mercy, his love. So in the controversy between good and evil, Satan has declared before the entire universe that God is unfair, that God is unjust, that his commands are arbitrary, that he's unloving, that he's an authoritarian dictator. But in his life and death, Jesus exposed Satan's lies. Satan selfishly desired to rule, and Jesus willingly became a servant. Satan grasped power. Jesus gave up power. Satan battled for the throne. Jesus submitted to the cross. Satan was filled with pride. Jesus ministered in what? Love. Satan desired worship. Jesus experienced mockery and ridicule and gave up worship when he came to earth. Satan attempted to ascend to the heights of heaven to take the place of the righteous Jesus. Jesus descended to earth to take the place of unrighteous sinners. Satan coveted God's throne. Jesus willingly went to the cross. See, in the last days of earth's history, God's incredible sacrificial love will be revealed through his people. God's goodness will flow from the hearts of his people in unselfish service and the earth will be lightened with the glory of God. In an age of selfishness, God's people will reveal his unselfish character. In an age of egotistical grasping, God's people will sacrificially give. In an age of hopelessness, God's people will inspire hope. In an age of bitterness and resentment, the earth will be filled with the glory of God. Why? Because God's people will demonstrate forgiveness. In an age of rampant materialism, God's people will seek the higher priorities of his kingdom. In an age consumed with seeking pleasure, God's people will reveal the joy of his service. So here at a time when you have the union of church and state to establish an order of government on earth, that tries to secure peace and security through selfishness, God will reveal his goodness. God will reveal his glory. God will reveal his love in a people who are totally sold out for Christ and committed to doing his will. I love the way Ellen White puts it in the book Acts of the Apostles, page 9. She says, The members of the church, those whom he has called out of darkness into his marvelous light, are to show forth His glory. Did we read in Revelation chapter 18, verse 1, about the earth being filled with the glory of God? See, in the last days of earth's history, every seed is going to go to harvest. And there will be the manifestation of the selfishness, grasping of Satan on one hand, and the manifestation of Calvary's love on the other hand. And the whole universe will see that manifestation on the one hand of the selfishness of Satan and where that leads to destruction and the unselfish love of Jesus. Notice, the members of the church whom he has called out of darkness into his marvelous light are to show forth his glory. The church is the repository of the riches of the grace of Christ and through the church will eventually be made manifest. Through the church, notice, will eventually be made manifest to the principalities and powers in heavenly places, the final and full display of the love of God, there will be a revival that will come to God's people. And in that mighty revival, the Spirit will break down pride and the love of the world and materialism. And the Spirit will so fill the hearts of God's people that in an age of selfishness and self-aggrandizement, they will reveal... God's love to a waking world and a watching universe. And the prophecy of Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14 will be fulfilled. What God wants to do in his church is incredible. What God wants to do in his church is amazing. God longs to reveal his love through his people. He longs to so transform his people by his grace that his glory, his goodness will be revealed in the world that the prophecy of Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 14 will be manifest. Habakkuk 2 verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory. Did we read about God's glory in Revelation 18 verse 1? Did we read about it there? Will the earth be illuminated with God's glory? That was the prediction of Revelation 18 verse 1. We read in Exodus 33 that God's glory is his goodness. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. So this earth at end time will be filled with the glory of God as manifest in God's people. The love of God will be revealed to this waiting world and watching universe. God's church has been called to reveal the loving character of Jesus in a world passionate about the pursuit of pleasure. God's church has been called to love, to give, to serve, when the highest goal for many is meeting their own needs rather than others' needs. This is the manifestation of the love of God that the world is waiting to see. Now, do you think that the devil sees these prophecies in the Bible? You think he does? Do you think the devil realizes that there's a mighty revival coming to the people of God where hearts will be broken, where men and women will be on their knees, not so much debating, not so much arguing over theology, but they're gonna be on their knees crying out that the love of God will be revealed through them, that the goodness of God will be revealed through them. They will at end time reveal the beautiful character of Jesus before the whole universe.
2: Thanks for listening today. Don't forget that you can find today's broadcast online at hopelives365.com. If you're a regular listener to this broadcast, or if you've just tuned in for the first time and have been inspired by this sermon, and you'd like to partner with us to help keep these radio broadcasts on the air, you can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888 244 hope day or night, 24-7. One of our team is available to assist you right now. We believe God is moving across the globe, touching lives and reaching hearts. And you are helping make this a reality with your gift of any amount. Spiritualism, in a variety of forms, is making its way through the Western world. The afterlife, the spirit world, and spirit mediums can be found in movies, best selling books, and popular TV programs. These themes are making their way into our children's entertainment, even. And we have this free book to help you understand things a little bit better entitled Dark Tunnels or Bright Lights. This book candidly reveals biblical truth about this subject and pulls the curtain aside to reveal why there is so much interest in this topic. The book reveals the deceptions of spiritualism based on biblical teachings so that you can confidently discern truth from error as the topic continues to gain momentum across all levels of society. Now, this book is absolutely free. You can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE day or night, 24-7. Don't forget that our prayer team is also available at that number to pray with you. Join us again next time on Hope Lives
0: 365.